What is up, guys? It has been a while since I've been on the microphone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rise Kill Eat podcast. My name is Tyler Pruitt, and I am the host and founder of this show. Like I said, it has been a while since I've been on on the microphone and had a lot of things going on lately. Some of you guys may know that I had a family emergency not too long ago, a little over a month ago, and that whole process just took a while, and I just the the podcast didn't really have a high priority at that time. So I'm working on getting back to working on the podcast, making sure that I'm putting out some good content for you guys to listen to. And I think I've got one for you today. Also, a couple other things that have contributed to, you know, just not being able to put as much time into the podcast as normal is it's hunting season. We are right in the midst of deer hunting right now. November is that sweet time period where you got the rut going on. You got all kinds of different things going on with whitetail activity. So I have been spending quite a bit of time in my free time out in the woods, doing some scouting, doing some hunting, and that's that, that's really where a lot of my, my weekend time is going this time of year, and what used to be my time to work on the podcast on the weekends is now spent out in the woods. So it's been a little over a month since we put our last episode out, but I've got one for you today. I think you guys are going to like it. I am having... Tony Dempsey on. He is a return guest of the Rise Kill Eat podcast. He is a great guy. He's a great guy who loves to talk about hunting, who is very experienced. He's very knowledgeable when it comes to hunting. And I always enjoy having conversation with him. He was actually my very first guest way back in episode five. And we've gone full circle here at episode 25 now. And he is back on the show again today. So he just recently within the past couple months, returned from a trip to Colorado where he went on an elk hunt, a backcountry public land elk hunt. And so he shares a little bit of his experience from that. And then he also shares his update on deer hunting for this season so far. He, I, won't, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but if you guys know Tony and you've been follow him on social media or if you know him personally then you know that uh he's got he's going to have a really awesome story for you guys to hear today on the rice kelly podcast so thank you guys for listening thank you for tuning in to today's show i really do appreciate all the support all the listeners that you that have chosen to listen to the show and thank you guys so much for that if you guys haven't checked us out on social media we are on instagram the handle is at rke afield so that's rice kill eat RKE Afield. And then we're also on Facebook. So that's facebook.com slash RKE Afield. And you can also just type in on the search bar on Facebook, RKE Afield, and it'll, it'll bring you right to us. You'll be able to see our logo, which is the circle with the arrow, the two arrows, and the fork, which is Rise Kill Eat. So you'll be able to see that there and just click on it, give us a like, give us a follow. And we also, I am in the process of trying to get a Twitter page going. That way I can kind of share a little bit of the news on what's going on with the Rise Kill Eat podcast and, and the Twitter side of, side of things. So be sure to give us a follow. Be sure to give us a like. Uh, I'm going to, like I said, this past couple, I don't know, month and a half or so has been a little bit crazy as far as all the things going on, you know, hunting season going on, uh, some family situations going on. Um, I'm also, those of you guys that aren't familiar, I'm taking graduate classes right now. I'll be finishing up my master's in teaching here soon. So I've got a lot of things going on, a lot of things on my plate and on top of being, uh, trying to be a good husband and a good father. So the podcast is, uh, 
was kind of put aside for a little bit. But uh, like I said, I'm going to try to get that thing, try to get this thing going again. That way I can get some content out for you guys to listen to, put into your ears, and hopefully you'll be able to find some value from it. And if you do find some value from it, go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment, leave us a review, whatever it may be, and just to let us know. Let us know what you think of the show. All right, if you're enjoying it, great. I always love hearing positive things. But if even if you're not enjoying it, if you'd like to hear something else, if you'd like to just give a suggestion or whatever it may be, send those in as well. I'm, I'm always for suggestions. I don't have all the answers. In fact, I'm not sure if I have many answers. So if you guys have some suggestions or things that you would like to listen to on the Rise Kill Eat podcast, I definitely would be willing to hear that. So thank you guys again for listening to today's show. We've got Tony Dempsey on. He's a, he's a, like I said before, he's a great guy. Be sure to follow him on Instagram and on Facebook. He's got a, he does a, quite a bit of bow fishing, quite a bit of archery. Um, he just an all around knowledgeable hunter, all around great guy, all around good family friend. And uh, I appreciate him being on the show today. And I think you guys are going to enjoy what he has to say today. So sit back and enjoy the show. This is episode number 25 the Rice Kill Eat Podcast. How you doing, man? Doing good, Tyler. How about you, man? I am doing great. Doing great. I'm, I'm glad we were able to get this worked out and able to get everything going. So, but I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk with you again. This is your second time on the show. That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like a celebrity now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're big timing. <laughs> yeah, big timing it. No, it's uh, good to be back on here with you, man. I've, you know, had some experiences since we last talked so uh hopefully i can share some interesting stuff with you all yeah that's exactly what i wanted to get at with you uh i wanted to start with your experience this past september and then of course uh move on to your most recent experience as of what 24 hours ago so Uh, i definitely i definitely want to get to that as well so (laughs) yeah yeah sounds good so, uh, so was that this past September that you went out to Colorado on a nice elk hunt over the counter? Kind of break down the details of that for us. Yeah, just uh, over counter, over the counter archery hunts, public ground in Colorado. Uh, going out with a pickup truck loaded, uh, full of supplies, uh, tent, you know, sleeping bags, those, those type things, you know, just to camp out. And just picked a couple different units, uh, doing some doing some research. Uh, use the Go Hunt app and use Onyx uh, app to try to uh, break down some of these units and and also talk to some local people out there. I had some contacts with and try to you know put the odds in our favor. Um, we got there on the first evening. Let's see, we got there on a Friday night. And we arrived at our camp spot just about 30 minutes before dark. And so I wasn't real sure where our camp spot was going to be. We just drove up in there where we wanted to hunt and uh, pulled off the side of the road and set up camp. 
So um, we got there, and of course, as soon as we get there, uh, it starts to rain a little bit, which I think the last time I went to Colorado three years ago, we stayed there for a week, and it maybe rained one time for about 30 minutes. But this was a this was a little different scenario here, and um, wasn't expecting the rain that that quickly and or frequently, but it did happen. So we rushed around, got camp set up, got tent set up. Um, had a young man by the name of Austin Riggs with me. Uh, nice young man, 21 years old. And of course, I'm 30 years his senior. Uh, so you can imagine uh, the the physical liability I was in that hunt. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, we rushed around. We got camp set up, and actually, I had to stop uh, about three quarters of the way through getting camp set up because I started getting sick. Uh, you get that, you get that altitude sickness or elevation sickness, whatever you want to call it. Because as soon as we got there, we drove straight up to 10,000 feet. And, um, last time I went, we actually camped at around 7,500 feet. It wasn't a big issue, but just that extra 2,500 feet made a big difference. So I did not have a good night. Um, I was up and down all night. I ended up sleeping most of the night in the truck and having to start the truck up, turn the heater on just because I had the cold shivers and sick to my stomach and everything else going on. So that's how it all kind of started. Um, next night, or excuse me, next morning we got up. I was just kind of battling that sickness and uh, I just had to fight on through it because, you know, it was time to go hunting. So uh, we got everything ready, got packs ready got prepared, you know, loaded up with food, sleeping bags, shelter, all that stuff. And we were prepared to uh, spend two or three nights out if need be. Uh, so we could hopefully get on some elk. Uh, we actually heard a bugle from the truck um, while we were getting things ready. We actually moved on that bull a little bit once we got our packs and our bows and everything ready. We moved on him a little bit and just never could get an answer back out of him, never um, never had anything come in. So anyway, we just commenced to go in, uh, the opposite direction, uh, hunting our way through some areas we wanted to, uh, check out what we thought would be some good bedding areas. Come to find out, uh, we weren't alone. There were several other hunters in that unit. We ended up hiking out probably about eight miles, uh, as we hunted, um, found a location to pitch camp that night, uh, camped out that night there. I think uh, we got up the next morning. It was probably around 32 degrees. I think Austin's, uh, the, the hose in his water bladder actually was frozen a little bit. So, uh, it was kind of a cool night, but you know, we had good gear. We had good sleeping bags and, and things like that. So, uh, that really wasn't a big issue. We left camp set up right there and uh, took off hunting that morning and got up on this one ridge and we walked in and uh, we actually bumped some cows and, and calves from their beds, um, had them at about 50 yards and just, I did not have an opening to get a shot or I would have taken a, a legal cow, you know, over the counter cow or bull, either one was legal. And I just could not get a shot in where they were. Um, and we tried, you know, tried calling them in, getting them calmed down. Uh, but the, the wind swirl, the winds are just so terrible out there. There's nothing consistent about them. Plus you've got the thermals to deal with and it's, it's just, 
it's a lot different out there from what it is here because typically when you're deer hunting here and you're in a stand and the sun is coming up in the morning and start things start warming up pretty much immediately your thermals are coming up uh, but out there the thermals don't rise and don't come up till probably about 10 o'clock in the morning so is it just because of the altitude yeah i guess i guess it's just because of you know how high you are how steep everything is uh, I don't know if it just yeah. takes everything that long to start warming up enough for it to rise. Uh, so that's a, it's a little bit different ball game there as far as that's concerned. But anyway, the wind swirled on us. They got our wind. Um, those cows bugged out of there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we, uh, we hung out in that area for a little while, for a little while longer. We saw quite a bit of sign. And we had one other bugle way off in the distance. And, of course, we had some other bugles, too, that weren't elk, that were hunters answering us. But uh, they were trying to call me. And I guess, you know, I, I'm kind of flattered, I guess, because uh, I guess I sounded pretty good, you know, sounded like a bull. I was uh, I was bugling and trying to get a response from another bull. And But anyway, we just we made the call after that afternoon, after two full days of hunting, or well, actually one and a half days because they were calling for some some heavy rains coming in that afternoon. We made the call to make our way back to the truck and relocate to another unit we had picked out just because we were getting so much pressure in there from other hunters. Um, and we weren't hearing the bugling like we thought we should. So we commenced to hike out of there eight miles back to the truck. Uh, the good thing was it was mostly all on uh, roads. And it was old, old cat roads, old logging roads that were in there. Uh, back to the truck, but still, eight miles with about thirty-five pounds on your back is not fun. Mm -hmm. And so, at. finally made it back uh, just before dark. Getting back to the truck, loaded up camp, and we drove out of there. And I think we drove about three hours that night uh, to get to our next unit that we were going to hunt. Um, we did pull over and sleep a little while in a rest area. That's just something you got to do. And uh, so we made it to the next uh, unit the, the next morning, which was a little bit further west, a little bit further south. Um, and when we got down there, it was considerably warmer than where it was when we left. We, you know, that was further north. Um, so that concerned me a little bit. Um, we found an area to get to pitch in pitch up a camp, get our camp set up, uh, go out and do some scouting that evening a little bit. Didn't find really as much fresh, uh, fresh sign there as what we did in the first unit. But we had some guys that actually, some local guys here that hunted out there in that area last year. So they were giving us some tips on where to look for elk. Um, so that was a help. I think it was about the second morning we were there. I believe it was on a Thursday. Yeah, it was on a Thursday morning. So it's getting towards the end of our week, the following week of hunting that uh, we get in this one area and I let out some bugles as we're making along, making our way along this uh, cat trail, cat road. Um, and we get an answer off in the distance. And I knew that was a bull. Uh, so we try, we get him pinpointed, uh, bugle at him a couple more times to get him located and get him pinpointed. We make our way to him. 
Uh, we want to get in as close as we can before we do any more calling, trying to get him pulled to us. And uh, I figured we were probably in about 120 yards of him. And I bugle once and he answers, and then I bugle again and he doesn't answer. Um, I don't know if he got a little intimidated by that. Uh, didn't hear anything back out of him. And so I decided I cow called a little bit. And then I, I heard some some limbs breaking, sticks breaking, whatever. Sounded like something moving towards us. He actually came off of this uh, this one hillside on the right-hand side, came down into this low, little low depression down in front of us, um, crossed in front of me probably at about 60, 70 yards. And I we cow called to him, no response. I don't know if he got our wind or what. He didn't run out of there. He just made a slow turn, turned, walked away, and down over the mountain he went. And we never heard from him again. So that was really the best encounter we had for the whole hunt. Um, we never, what surprised me, we just couldn't get into the elk. They weren't being vocal. So it's really hard to locate them. We couldn't even jump any bedded cows in those areas. Uh, or in the second unit that we ran. So that uh, that really concerned me as far as the number elk there. Um, this next year, planning another trip out there, and I might actually start in that first unit where we, uh, where we began our trip. Um, it's really rough country in there. It's really physically demanding. There's so many blowdowns and there's so many dead trees from the those I don't know if it's pine beetles or what it's it's the western version of the ash beetle like we've got here you know but it just kills all those pine trees and then they're blowing down they're laying over top of each other like a bunch of toothpicks and so it's just it's just a battle to get through that stuff and to get where the elk are and so you you know it would really help to be more familiar with those areas to to know where to get on a trail and get around that stuff but i guess you know that just comes with getting in there and doing it and getting after it so i might might try that area again i don't know i might try to find something at a little bit lower elevation so i don't have trouble with the sickness we'll see but uh yeah how much preparation did you get did you actually put into uh you know, the physical demand and, you know, you mentioned the altitude sickness. There's really nowhere for us here in Kentucky to even get close to being able to play with that kind of altitude. So what, I mean, what kind of stuff did you do in, you know, in preparation prior to going out on your hunt? Well, just, you know, from the physical aspect of it, um, I, I just tried to get in as much cardio as, uh, cardio as I could around here and, also putting in time on these hills that we've got here with a loaded down backpack. I'd load my pack and I'd strap my bow to the back of it for some added weight and I'd throw that on and I would take off hiking um, around home here in the areas where I deer hunt. Get on these hills and just, you know, try to keep your heart rate up and work those legs out, man, getting those legs as strong as you can and uh, it's tough. It, it's really tough. A lot of a lot of what you do around here just will not prepare you for what's out there. That's what I've heard. I, I talked to a guy uh, from out in Utah not too long ago, Dr. Preston Ward. He's a uh, 
physical therapist in Utah and he's a big elk hunter. He's a big hunter out there in the mountains and stuff. And he was kind of mentioning the idea of preparing before you go out on a, on a mountain hunt. And he, he was kind of breaking down a few things and basically the, your best shot at it is starting in the spring prior to your hunting season and just, I mean, increasing by trying to increase it by about 10% each week. So you're, as far as your, like your running distance goes. So if in April you're running, you know, a mile, then the next week you're running, you know, 1.1 mile. So, and you're just building off of that and just keep on going. And, I, and I've always told myself that, you know, if and when I ever get the opportunity to go on an elk hunt, I, I'm going to say when I get to go on an elk hunt, because I'm definitely going to go on one eventually. When I got to go on an elk hunt, that's how I'm going to kind of try to prepare myself. And of course, that's that's coming from a uh, thousand foot view, because that's not something I've I've quite prepared for yet. Yeah, it's that's really good advice start as early as you can yeah um three years ago when i went i was in a whole lot better physical condition but with a workout program that we had where i was working at the time you know we were working out two and three days a week uh and we were doing a whole lot of functional movements and things you know kind of i guess kind of like crossfit and it had a lot of cardio it had a lot of um weight training and body weight training, you know? So I was in pretty good shape then. And we did a lot of miles, um, on GPS, I think in a week, in a whole week, let's see, I think we did like 60 miles on foot on that hunt. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was over five days of hunting. So a 12 mile average per day. Now we didn't do that much on this hunt. Um, I wasn't in as good a physical condition and I was also battling uh plantar fasciitis in my right foot. So, so you had a lot going on. You had some altitude sickness and your feet bothering you. I mean, that, that's pretty tough. Yeah, it was tough. And uh, I mean, I'm still battling the plantar fasciitis thing and, and I'm going to have to do something to get over that. I'm trying different things, but, but yeah, it's just, uh, any kind of physical ailments, uh, just compound, compound greatly when you're out there trying to uh, trying to hunt in that kind of terrain at that that altitude yeah absolutely absolutely you were mentioned that you had some good gear because you know it got cold up there what kind of gear were you using as far as you know being able to actually keep your body temperature up and not getting too cold i mean if you're eight miles back if you get too cold i mean you're going to be in a, in a whole lot of trouble so what kind of stuff were you were you using yeah um of course, layering clothing system is so so very important. Uh, having some lightweight layers of good insulation that you can throw in your backpack, it's not going to weight you down a whole lot. Uh, around here, even I use the same thing out there as what I typically use for like a base layer. It's a um, it's a Polar Tech type uh, long underwear. It's the Cabela's Extreme Cold Weather System, the cold weather gear. Um, I, that's what I use for my base layer if it's really cold enough to wear that uh over top of that uh the pants i was wearing and the the shirt i was wearing well the pants i was wearing was a um was the new scent lock um uh, it's the new savannah arrow system and it's uh it's 20 percent lighter than the older savannah suits and a little bit thinner of course during the day i mean it was really warm uh, so really all we had to prepare for as far as insulation was at nighttime while we were sleeping. So not a big deal. 
Uh, I was just wearing the Savannah suit by itself during the day. And for my base layer shirt, I was wearing a short sleeve merino wool shirt uh, that I actually, it's a Black Ovis brand I ordered from Black Ovis. Those shirts are great because it sounds kind of gross, but uh, I think I wore the same shirt the entire hunt. But the great thing about Merino is it, even if it gets wet, it'll still insulate you. But yet if it's hot, it breathes really well and it wicks moisture away. Um, but it will not stink. It, it never did smell bad. So uh, that was a great thing about that. And, uh, and then for, you know, for another shirt or a hoodie, something like that over top of the Merino shirt i was wearing the savannah arrow uh shirt and pullover hoodie wore that all week also i mean uh yeah i mean you know you say well how do you control your scent your odor and that stuff yeah i wear scent lock just because i love scent lock you know it's just good clothing it's a good system um did the scent lock get absorbed with odors and things like that and being effective out there yeah probably so but when you're dealing with an elk i mean if you're smelling very bad and you can't stand yourself, you might as well put on Old Spice because if you don't have the wind right on an elk, you're not going to beat them, beat them anyway. You're not going to beat their nose. So yeah, I've, I've definitely experienced that with whitetails too. <laughs> yeah, and you know an elk catch your wind. Yeah, and imagine an elk's nose is five times the yeah. size of a whitetail. So imagine exactly a lot more surface area. That's right. I use that uh, uh, merino wool too, and it's man, that, there's nothing else like it. I, I love it. I you can use it. In the summertime, I have a like a Sitka pullover with the Moreno wool, yeah. and I can use it during the summertime when it's 90 degrees out because it, it'll pull the moisture away from my body, but it also breathes well enough, too, at the same time. And then I can also use it, you know, come December and January when I'm out on a duck hunt and it's negative five degrees outside. I can use it as a base layer because it's going to keep me warm no matter, you know, no matter what the temperature. So, I mean, I love the versatility of the Moreno wool and just the just the ability to be able to use the same piece for so many different things is oh yeah. is really great especially whenever you're putting you know the the amount of money that you're putting into this kind of a gear and this kind of equipment it's it's definitely nice to be able to be able to use it for all kinds of things yeah i agree i, I love those merino shirts they're great i mean I, I wore one out deer hunting the other night it was just so comfortable it, it keeps you warm it's light it's thin um it's just, it's, it's a great feeling. It's comfortable. You know, it's not like the old wool clothing you used to, like the old wool sweaters you had when you was a kid yeah. you put on, you feel them itching around your neck. It's nothing like that. So it's. Once that gets wet, it's going to weigh you down. It's going to be. Right. <laughs> it's going to be like wearing, carrying a, a wet towel around pretty much. Yeah. And you know, socks are key to the Merino wool socks is what I wore out there. Yeah. I like the uh, I like the darn tough socks, which you can get those at uh, Cabela's. They sell darn tough socks, and they got different they got little different weights of them and different lengths, um, but they're just really comfortable. Um, you know, they they really control that moisture in your boots. Um, my feet sweat so easily anyway, and that's what you really got to take care of out there when you're hiking a lot of miles with a lot of weight on your back and you're carrying a bow with you because you got a lot of pressure on your feet. So, uh, uh, having extra socks in your pack that you can rotate out, you know, 
put on a fresh pair, take your other ones off, lay them out somewhere over a limb or whatever, and let them dry, and then throw them back in your pack, and you're ready to go. Yeah, you got to take care of your feet because once you, I mean, that's literally your foundation. So once those things go and your feet are, you know, developing sores and blisters and that kind of thing, it's just exactly there's no going back at that point. So you gotta yeah. got to definitely take care of your feet. I've, I've seen that even, you know, doing little day hunts around here with whitetail and turkeys or whatever. Yeah. Once you start to develop those blisters, it's really gonna gonna affect how mobile you can be and how how much you're actually able to to enjoy the hunt. Yeah, that's the last thing I would want would be a blister, but. uh Going on on to, uh, you know, the insulation, staying warm, being prepared, uh, sleeping bag is just so very important. And just get something that's within your price range. I mean, the sky's the limit on sleeping bags. Um, usually the down bags are a lot more expensive. But, you know, I did some research and um, all the rec- a lot of the recommendations that I saw were saying, you know what, don't go with the down because if that down bag gets wet, man, you're going to have a hard time getting that thing dried out and it's not going to insulate you while it's wet. If you get a polyfill uh, sleeping bag, it's like what the one I had was a 20 degree bag and it was the, the polyfill bag. And, you know, they say, even if those do get wet, they will still insulate you and keep you warm. Uh, I've also heard stories of guys too. They say, you know, they'd be out hunting, they get wet, they get their clothes wet and it's, time to get in a sleeping bag at night. Well, you know, you get on in that sleeping bag with your wet clothes on, and it's going to be uncomfortable for a while, but that bag will insulate you enough and your body heat will stay trapped in there and it'll, it'll dry your clothes out overnight. You'll be dry when you wake up the next morning. Now we never experienced that and didn't have to luckily, but uh, that sleeping bag I had did a great job. I think the one I've got is a 20 degree. It's a hiking bike is the brand of it. Just, I found it on, on the internet and it was a a good just a good affordable bag that um was fairly lightweight it's not as light as some if you get into the really lightweight stuff like say a a two and a half pound bag then you go pay a lot more money for it i think my bag weighs about four pounds so yeah you got you're suffering a little bit um packing a little more weight but um, you can make up for that in other areas and cut some weight out of your pack. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something I learned too on loading up that pack and what I actually needed for being out there for two days. I had way too much food with me. Um, that, that was not necessary. I took too many meals. We took the mountain house meals. And I packed three meals in a gallon Ziploc bag for, say, okay, here's one day of meals, plus the other snack stuff I had, like beef jerky and Skittles and stuff like that. And I could have cut out one meal per day uh, just just based on the calorie intake of the meals I had and the other snack stuff that we were eating along the way. You know, there's, there's areas you can cut weight. There's other stuff that I had, other little um non-essential stuff that i had with me that uh would have been nice to had if if i really needed it but i didn't need it um it was just kind of like luxury items that i had with me uh little fire starter blocks and things like that um you know just some other stuff in my pack that i could have cut out and got the weight down 
Yeah, would that have an influence on the next time that you go as far as preparing, you know, and packing before you actually go on this next trip for, for next season? How much of the influence is that going to have on you? Oh, great deal. A uh, great deal because I just had way too much weight in my pack that first two days we were out and coming back yeah. in, coming back in on that eight mile hike. You know, I was, I was about dead by the time we got back. But that was this. I don't know if you saw the the Facebook live that I did. That's when the hailstorm hit us, and I were laying underneath of the shelter, the the tarp that I had put up and tied to the trees. And it's a good. I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. We. <laughs> We got underneath that tarp and we just had to wait it out, man. It hailed like crazy for 30, 45 minutes. And uh, if we got caught out in that, I mean, those hailstones, they look like marbles coming down. It was it was a pretty heavy hailstorm. Um, so you just never know what it's going to throw at you out there and you just got to be prepared. But, but yeah, um, definitely going to influence me and in, in how I – approach um my packing uh this next season when i'm out there for sure yeah absolutely absolutely that sounds like a great plan i mean carrying that that all that weight around for that long you know multiple miles for several days it's just gonna it's just gonna wear you down i mean there's just yep. there's no other way around it so you gotta go in as light as you can and you know make the cuts where where you feel like you need to make them that's right yeah you you learn you live and learn um you learn from experience and uh you know that was that, that was my first time as far as a you know a pack in hunt backpack hunt and yeah I, I did learn to just take the necessities what i really absolutely had to have the other stuff you know i i can make do without it for two or three days not a big deal definitely definitely so i just want to uh switch gears on you here i mean that sounds like a great great hunt i'm i'm really excited that you were able to actually go on that and i can kind of live vicariously yeah you, anytime. That's, that's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah, anytime, man. Uh, and you know i've done that with others too watching others man I, yeah i think uh, last year this time last year i was just binge watching the born and raised outdoors on youtube you know and those guys are awesome yeah they got their new shows running right now their new episodes are, are going they've been going since last friday but uh but yeah, I mean, just watching those guys and just picking up on tips and guys like Corey Jacobson and, and those guys on calling and yeah. Dirk Durham and the, those, I mean, that's what I was doing. I was last year, I was living through them and watching them, but uh, yeah, just going out there and doing it, man. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm 51 years old now and that's my biggest regret is not committing to doing that when I was your age. Um, I know things are different. Yeah. When I was your age. Yeah. I had a young child too, and you've got young kids and, and, uh, you know, maybe you've got, you probably got, when you're young, you've got a little bit tighter budget than you will when you're older. And, uh, but if there's, if there's a way that any of you listening to this can, you know, if you're 25 years old, you're 30 years old, whatever age you are, it doesn't matter. Um, find a way to do this, commit to doing it. And if you've got to stick away, you know, $50 bill a week or whatever it is, you know, throughout the year, stick away that money, put it aside and commit to doing this because in, in Colorado is great because it's over the counter and you can, you can go buy that tag and you can go hit that public land and those units that are open for over the counter archery or even over the counter rifle. 
which is going on right now. I think it's the third season going on right now. It's just so many, just such great resources out there that you can take advantage of. And man, just go out there and get after these elk. Do it while do it as young as you possibly can. I'm telling you because when you get my age, it gets really tough, <laughs> really tough on the body. Uh, getting around in those mountains. Um, but, you know, I really, I really just try to stay after it. And I always try to stay just as, as, as physically active as I can, even around here, because that's just the kind of stuff I enjoy doing. And I want to be able to do that as long as I possibly can. There's going to come a day um, that I'm not going to be able to do it. And maybe it might be in the next two or three years, I may, be, may not be able to do the archery hunt the way I want to. So I might go out and do a rifle hunt. Uh, over-the-counter uh, rifle hunt. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But best advice I can give you, don't wait. Don't say, oh, well, I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it next year. Or I'll do it the year after when I can save up a little more money or whatever. Just commit to doing it and do it now, and you will not regret it. Yeah, it's really encouraging that you're saying that because that's something I, you know, I've always gone back and forth on. And like you said, whenever you were younger, you had – young kid also and I've, I've got two of those and it's just uh there's there's other commitments and other obligations and things that you know tend i wouldn't say get in the way because it's definitely not getting in the way but there there's just other other commitments and because that's i mean elk hunting is it's my it's my dream hunt i mean that's something uh, uh, uh archery elk hunt out west is like top notch on my bucket list as far as hunts go so it's really encouraging that you're actually going through this and giving this advice. Cause that's, that's something that me personally definitely need to hear. And I'm sure there's other people my age and other people around my age that are in similar positions as that I am and maybe in the future or, uh, whatever it may be that are probably thinking the same things I am. And it's, it's great to hear from somebody in your position, looking back on it, uh, you know, hearing that kind of advice and it's, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't put it off. You know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so yeah. don't have any, don't have any regrets. Best advice. I can give. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that. But yeah, let's go ahead and let's get into this, uh, this deer story. Cause as soon as I saw yeah. that yesterday, I, we already had this, this talk planned and I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be great. We're going to get to hear the, the story, you know, fresh yeah. 24 hours later. So, so what is, What's the what's the details on this uh, awesome buck that you shot? Okay, well, uh, uh, starting off, honestly, after going to Colorado and you're out there archery hunting for elk, I, it's just there's nothing else like it. And when I came back here to Kentucky, uh, of course, you know, we run trail cameras. We put out some corn and stuff, hoping to get pictures of a good buck. I was not getting squat. I'm telling you, I was just getting these little bitty old raghorns. It's like year and a half old deer that have got four or five points on them. And I mean, I was not getting anything on camera, no shooters. Um, so I didn't really have anything to go after, you know, and early in the season, I'm not just going to go in there and just blow the woods up with my scent and everything else uh, without having something to target. Okay. So anyway, long story short, um, I was not, I have not been motivated at all to deer hunt. And 
uh, I just could not get in the mood for it. Like I said, after our elk hunting, it's hard to get in the mood to deer hunt when you come back here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yesterday, uh, probably around 11 or 12 o'clock, I went and uh, it's a buddy of mine's farm that he always allows me to hunt after he kills his target buck, which he's already killed his target buck. And he's allowed me to hunt that for the last two, three years. And, um, so I went and I went up in there and checked my camera card. I come back here and start going through the photos. Well, I get a daytime picture of this buck that, uh, that Tim actually named him skip. And the reason he named him skip is because this buck would show up on camera maybe for a few days during a week or two out of the season. And then he would disappear for months at a time. Never seen. You just skip clear out of the country. So anyway, I see this buck on camera during daylight. There's Skip right in front of the camera. I'm like, hmm, interesting. So he might be around close. Uh, keep going through the photos. And I think it was four days in a row that he was on camera during daylight. He was either there in the evening before dark or he would be there around 930 in the morning coming back through, I guess, going back to his bedding area. So that was telling me that he was hanging around pretty close. Uh, he was staying around there for a reason. Didn't know if it was a doe that was starting to come in season in heat, probably because of that. And that's an area that this area holds a lot of does around that, around that field, big food plot. I said, well, as long as the wind is right, um, not if, you know, even if it's marginal, if I can get by with it, I'm going to hunt. And that, this was last night. I said, well, I'll, I'll leave here at about three o'clock with that time change and everything. I'll get to leave about three o'clock, get back there, get in the stand, get settled in. These deer can come through there at any time. You just never know how early they're going to come in. So I get back there, probably get settled in around 3.30, 3.45, something like that. And uh, within 15, 20 minutes, I have the first buck come in the field. Nice young buck. Uh, he's across the field, comes around in front of me. Uh, a little bit later on, another little scrub buck comes out. Uh, another nice buck is at the edge of the woods with a couple does that are coming out. He's checking them out and just really getting deer filtering into the field. It gets coming up close to 530, I guess, 515 to 530. And I hear some deer on my right hand side. And I look over my right and through the woods, I can see a doe coming out. She pops out into the field and she's about 30 yards away. And I hear more deer behind her and um, another doe comes out and then I hear another one coming along. I've already got my bow in my hand at that time. And as soon as he steps out, I knew it was him. I said, that's Skip right there. And uh, I'd had some experience uh, encountered with this deer two years ago. Uh, it was the Friday before the opening of the Kentucky gun season. And it was late in the evening. I was in a different stand on the opposite side of that same food plot. And uh, I had him come in and he got to chasing a doe and he came by at about 40 yards and I never could get him stopped and never could get a shot at him. So at that time, I estimated that deer to be about five and a half years old. I mean, he was a big mature deer then, uh, probably about a 155 inch buck at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the only encounter I had with him. Hunted him last year. We had a few pictures of him, but... I hunted him last year and never laid eyes on him. He never showed up. So anyway, he steps out. He comes through. 
he's at about 30 yards and he's on a dead walk right behind those does out in that field. I've stood up and I draw my bow and I'm like, okay, he's going to stop anytime now and just give me a shot. Because most deer, when they come out in the field, they want to stop and they want to look around. They want to make sure, you know, things are safe for them. What's going on? Uh, what other deer in the field? He never did stop. He marches right on out past 50 yards. Uh, he escorts one nice 10-pointer, a young three-year-old 10-pointer. He escorts him out of the field. Uh, he goes towards another couple of young bucks. Well, he didn't even have to get close to them, and they take off out of the field. They didn't want no part of it. He makes another march around through the middle of the field. He's about 70, 80 yards out at that time. And I see him bristle up, man. His hair just stands up on ends. He looks like he's two times bigger than what he really was. I mean, he's a big deer anyway. And I see him marching down towards these cedar trees, and I'm like, where's he going? He must There must be another buck down there or something. Well, he goes around the left side of those cedar trees, and I lose sight of him. Or around on the right-hand side, coming back towards me, comes another real nice eight-pointer. <laughs> so that buck, you know, he's he's making a loop around around Skip and getting out of his way. Skip finally comes back up in the middle of the field, and then he decides it's time to chase a couple does. So he gets to pushing the does. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, am I ever going to get a shot at this deer, you know? And I've got deer all around me. I, I even had – I was moving around trying to get position one time, and I even had one or two does look straight up at me. Uh, luckily, they didn't spook. They, I guess they, they couldn't figure out what I was. You know, I saw them look at me, and I am just froze and sat still uh, until they, they put their heads back down, went on to eating again. And um, But anyway, he pushed two does back in the woods, the same – woods on the my right side where they came out from and i hear them does go in there and then i hear him grunting back in behind them you know and i'm like oh man he's gonna push them does out of the country and they're gonna take him out of here i'm not gonna get shot and i hear those does kind of making their way around through the woods kind of my direction and i look up and he comes out of the woods back out into the field and he turns my direction like he's gonna run up there and get in front of those does and cut them off Kind of like a like an old cutting horse I'll do, you know. And um, he walks straight at my stand, um, and he's he walks straight to stand, and then he turns just a little bit to where he's coming across in front of me, walking from my right to left, and he's broadside at twenty yards, and he's got to get on past one of the limbs that's in the tree that I'm in. He's got to get past that so I can get an open spot to get a shot. And now here's another little kink in the whole thing. I still had the sights on my bow that I had set up for elk hunting out in Colorado. So my first pin was a 30-yard pin. <laughs> I had my pin. It was a five-pin sight I had from 30 to 70. So all, I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, man, I got to aim low, you know. So I draw back on him. I draw back on him. He's still moving right to left. And I give him the little, old meh, you know, like that to get him to stop. Well, he stops on a dime. Perfect. Yeah. I dropped that pin down and I thought I had that pin right on his heart. So, you know, I thought, okay, 20 yard, I double lung him. Well, evidently I didn't allow for the angle and, and everything else. Cause I'm about 25 feet up in this tree and at 20, him being 20 yards from the tree. I mean, that's a pretty steep angle. Yeah. Anyway, I turn it loose. Yeah. I turn it loose and man, I'm I'm shooting a fixed blade interlock slice and that broadhead hit him right in the spine and dropped him on the spot. Uh, 
of course, you know, if you've ever spine shot one with a bow, you know, they're still, it's not going to kill them. They're still going to struggle. So I knew I had to get finishing shot in anyway. I, like I said, with having that 30 yard pin, man, I'm, I'm holding as low as I can. And actually the second shot, I hold a little too low and I shoot just underneath his heart. And, uh, I, I can't stand to see anything suffer, you know, and I want a good, quick heal. So, you know, I grab another arrow real quick and I'm like, you know, I got to, I got to just finish him off as quick as I can to be as humane as I can. And so then I, I double lung him and finish him off and he dies rather quickly. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't a lengthy time or anything like that, uh, that he was suffering from the spine shot or anything, but, uh, you know, it, it seemed like, a long time and it was maybe a matter of a minute that all of that happened so anyway yeah he's laying straight in front of me 15 to 20 yards um there's a a buck that we estimate to be seven and a half years old just huge body deer this neck on this deer is just huge it makes his neck look like it's only a foot long because his neck is so big he's got that he's got that big big old bull looking head on him you know that roman nose that we all like and it makes his muzzle look really short because his head and muzzle and everything's so big um so yeah he's just a big mature deer man that's why i wanted him i i was after him for the last two years um just really wanted that deer i just i like shooting mature deer i yeah I, everybody wants to shoot a boone and crockett you know but score is not the most important thing to me I mean, he's, I haven't scored him yet. He's out here hanging in the barn right now. Um, he's probably going to go mid 140s. I don't know. Buddy of mine thinks he'll go 150, but I think it's going to be pushing it. Uh, over the last two years, he's gone downhill just a little bit. He's lost a little bit of time length. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. But it doesn't matter to me. I mean, a seven, you know, at least he's at least six and a half, but I think he's seven and a half. Um, and to me, that's just a trophy in itself. You know, you kill a, you kill a big old mature beast, um, you know, a brute of that age. That's just, to me, that's a trophy right there. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, that's a, that's pretty incredible experience and being able to take down a deer that's, you know, seven and a half years old. It's, it's got its things figured out, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's been able to survive for that long and being able to go on for that long and being able to figure them out and get in there and, and hunt and you know hunt them successfully it's just that's that's pretty awesome for you yeah that's pretty, pretty that's great. that's right you know and right now i mean this is the time of year that you're going to catch one slipping up i mean it's when they fall in yeah. love you know and uh, the rest of the time of year they're pretty smart um but yeah. uh <laughs> you know he was he was wanting to fight you know and then he's wanting to run them other bucks off and get them out of his territory and get them away from his does and and you know then he he just wanted to romance a little bit with the ladies and, you know, so that gets a lot of big bucks killed, you know, how it is. And, uh, I knew it was time when I saw those pictures, when I saw those pictures, I, I said, you know, this is the prime time. It's, it's no better time than right now to have an opportunity at him. And I was just blessed. Just, I mean, just very fortunate and blessed to be able to get the shot at him and be able to, the, the shot worked out, you know, I, yeah, I did hit him high and, but Hey, there wasn't no tracking job. I mean, he was laying right there in front of me. So just take it. And that was the very first time I sat in the stand this year, my very first hunt this year here in Kentucky, uh, at home, uh, 
and usually, you know, I'm hunting opening weekend, first weekend of September. So, um, but it's just the way it was meant to be, I guess. And, you know, I think about it, you know, I, I was being patient, I guess, and using the trail cameras as scouting tools, um, on a couple different farms. And, you know, a lot of times it is just, you know, 90% scouting, 10% hunting, waiting for the right time and make your move at the right time. And a lot of times it can be a chess match with them bigger, older bucks. And, you know, if you go in there too early, if you go in on the wrong wind, something like that, you, you might only have one chance at them. That's going to be it. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a game that I have uh, lost quite a bit and I've been lucky a little bit sometimes too. And it's, I think there's a lot of, I don't know, I don't know if luck's the word. I think we put ourselves in positions to, to find success, but I mean, I think there's, there's definitely an element of that, you know, whenever we're, we're chasing these, these white tail deer, especially the, the mature ones. I mean, you, you've got that, the tools of scouting, I mean, with glassing and uh, binoculars and, you know, uh, trail cams, all these, all these tools that we have now that really they didn't have, you know, decades ago. And, but I mean, still not a guarantee. I mean, it's still, they're still going to get by you that you're still going to get busted and that kind of thing. And that's, it's something that that's just the nature of the game. It's the, it's the nature of the beast. It's just, yeah, just the way that, it is. That's true. You're dealing with mature deer. I mean, you know, they're a different animal. They're not a, they're not your typical three-year-old, yeah. you know, they're just, uh, they've, they've had a lot of encounters too, uh, over their life and they've learned a lot. So, uh, and that's, you know, I think that's why we, yeah. You know, that's how he got the name Skip. I mean, that buck knew he had his home range, uh, which was, I think, quite a distance away from this food plot, this field, uh, because there's another young man that uh, actually had him on camera, and he said he said he's probably about, I think he's about a mile and a half away. And he had lots of pictures of that deer wow. early in the season, throughout throughout the season up until now. Uh, and then all of a sudden he disappeared and, uh, well, we know why he disappeared because he knew where the does were. So he knew where to come back to, to find the does and it's the right time of year. And you know, them bucks, they, they know each individual doe. They know when a certain doe comes in heat each year. Uh, they know which ones come in first. They're, they're just, they're waiting for the right time. So, uh, yeah, it all worked out. Worked out. I was yeah, exactly. just very fortunate. A little bit of luck played into that too, and, and preparation also. And you know, I I hate to give a you know I'll give a shameless plug here, but I uh, I'm a big believer in wearing a scent lock. Not only is it just a great clothing system, and I like like the camo, and I wear it for a lot of different things. But I had on um, I had on the scent lock last night. And I had deer all around me, and I know I had deer. I had deer downwind of me while he was in the field pushing bucks away and running does. I had other does around off of my left side, quartering, and and the wind was hitting me. You know, almost uh, on the back right side of my shoulder, and I know that wind had to be going right past them. I just I think that was a testament to the scent lock doing its job right then, you know, because I, I, I'll run that ozone uh, in here in my little closet on my scent lock and stuff before I go out. So uh, eliminating all those mm-hmm. topical odors, 
and then let the carbon do its job while I'm out there in the field. But uh, I'm just, I'm a big believer in it. I think it really helped me harvest that deer last night. So yeah, scent control is just, I mean, it's a top notch. And I know I've, I've dealt with a little bit of some scent lock stuff before and everything I've had of theirs is, is always been, been good. And it's always been high quality and it's always from what I can tell, you know, done well. And I'll, I'll be sure to, uh, you know, tag them in this post when yeah, I put it on social media. <laughs> yeah. We're going to publish I appreciate this episode, that. So. And, you know, I, I just think, I think the newer stuff, you know, of course, as, you know, as we evolve with better technology, whether it be our hunting equipment, bows, broadheads, yeah. arrows, whatever it is, you know, the scent lock has come a long way too. I mean, I had one of the, uh, I think I had one of the original, I still got it here. I've got one of the original scent lock suits that came out in camo. That was the second year they were ever in business. Uh, we figured it, I think that suit is right at 27 years old and there's not a tear in it or anything, but you know, you look at the carbon technology, I think it's come a long way since that, uh, then in the last 27 years. So anyway, uh, that's just, that's just my thoughts, you know, believe it, believe it. If you want to, you know, are you ever yeah. going to beat a deer's nose a hundred percent? No, probably not. But I tell you what, if I gain a little advantage, okay using something like, you know, scent lock or using some ozone or whatever it may be. Um, I'm going to use it. Yeah. It's all about the advantage because those things, they, uh, they have find, found ways to survive in their element and they do it very well. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Most of the time they do it very well. So I got to ask you, you know, whenever that deer went over that hill and you kind of lost sight of him, what, what was going through your mind? You think he was gone? Uh, I thought it was over. I thought it was over. I'm like, <laughs> He's, he's pushing them does back in the woods where they came from. They're going to go right back over the hill the way they came. Here, I'm not going to get a crack at him. You know, here this deer walked out, and I arranged it afterwards. He walked out uh, of those woods to my right at 28 yards, and I didn't even try to stop him then. He never would stop on his own. And he walked right on out in the middle of that field at 50 yards and beyond. And I'm like, you know – if I don't get a crack at this deer and I blew that opportunity cause well, cause I wasn't prepared for him to come out that quickly. Um, <laughs> then, you know, I was just going to be kicking myself, but, uh, Hey, it all worked out, you know, and that just shows you a lot of times in this time of year, if you're hunting, if you hunt the right doe or the right group of does and you hunt them the right way, then big things can happen. Definitely. Yeah. We're, we're hunting does just as much as we're hunting bucks. I mean, cause this time of year where the does are, that's where the bucks are going to be. So that's right. but, uh, I'm actually hoping to get out a little bit this week and I'm planning on going to a different farm just because I'm not really seeing a whole lot of does at, at the main farm that I, I typically hunt. There's just not a whole lot around there. So I'm going to kind of give it a break a little bit and, you know, reduce that imprint, which uh, is something that I, I wanted to ask you about, but reducing that imprint you know, that, that, that human imprint in the area to reduce pressure. And that's something I'm going to try to do over the next, I guess, few days or a week or so right before the rifle season opens. And then hope, hoping that once the rifle season starts, it'll get deer moving around in the area and then kind of push some, push some deer around. So I'm going to switch up yeah. some tactics a little bit, you know, with this, this kind of chase period going on. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens this week. But, but yeah, so I think that, you know, hearing your story and everything, being able to reduce your, your imprint, just because, I mean, you, this was your first time in the stand, 
you think yep. that you know that that re- reduction of of you know pressure in there and not being in there all the time checking cameras and that kind of thing not being in there all the time you know doing all that kind of stuff hunting do you think that that played a part in your success in this hunt definitely 100% it had been man i think tim killed his target buck in there i think it was maybe the third week of september so nobody has hunted that area since yeah and i wasn't just gonna go in there and sit in a stand to hope and see what came out or what walked by because you know you you run the risk that you know maybe a one of the old mature does in the area you know she picks you off one time uh may not be too bad she picks you off twice then you know what that disturbs the area she's not comfortable anymore she's on a she would be on alert every time she came out um so yeah i just stayed out of there and like i said let the cameras do the the scouting for me and tell tell me when the time is right so i would go in there about once a week because all i would go in there and those deer back in that area i mean you know tim is Tim's always been pretty active in there, preseason stuff like that on his UTV uh, or tractor or whatever, you know, preparing food plots and stuff like that. So riding up in there in the middle of that field and accessing those cameras from my ranger uh, was not a big deal. Ride up in there, ride back out. Doesn't really bother the deer. They get used to that. Yeah. But uh, like I said, yeah, staying out there until the time was right, man. I mean – no sense in going in there blind and just spreading your scent around, disturbing the area. We wanted, you know, Tim and I talk about it. We always talk about strategy. And uh, he told me, he said, man, he said, if Skip gets on camera and he's in there when it's, you know, close to dark in the evening, um, you know, he's going to be around there fairly close, close by at that time before dark. So, when I when I pulled that camera man and, and he uh he was in there pretty much four evenings in a row before dark. I'm like, hey, this it don't get any better than this. So mm-hmm. yeah, being patient, waiting until the time is right. And um yeah, everybody just loves to go hunting and I do too. I love to be out there and love to go hunting, but when you're especially when you're after mature deer, and there was another shooter in there too, another buck that I would have shot. And he looked to be, uh, he's a four or five-year-old nine-pointer. He'll probably score higher than Skip. But uh, I said, you know, either one of those bucks comes out, uh, I'll I'll take either one of those. Uh, but anyway, Skip came out first, and wait until the time gets right. Do do your yeah. scouting. Um, let your cameras do your scouting. Let your cameras give you the right information. Determine when the right time to go is. And uh, right now with uh this seeking phase going on right now and a little bit of chasing if you can be in the woods right now getting set up on a corridor somewhere good trail system that you know is between bedding areas or common bedding areas uh get in there and hunt right now because it's it's go time right now this week it's not going to get any better than what it is right now absolutely absolutely that's that's definitely my plan. I'm hoping uh, we can get it worked out. I know it definitely worked out for you. It's a awesome deer, awesome story, and I definitely appreciate you sharing that with me. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, just I'm um, just like I said, just blessed to have the opportunity at him and getting a getting a good mature deer, and it's a you know a deer that I've had in my sights for the last couple of years, and uh, it's it's really neat when that chapter is closed, you know, when everything comes together, you know. So I'm gonna, like I said, he's out in the barn right now, but I will be caping that deer out and and uh, preparing him to to have him mounted up in the future whenever I get this other these other deer caught up i've still got that'll be four deer of mine that i've got out here in my shop that have not been mounted yet (laughs) (laughs) got a lot of work to do (laughs) yeah yeah but i gotta get everybody else's done first and that's the problem yeah i I mean i've got a deer of my own that i killed uh when was that uh uh four years ago five years ago 165 inch uh, 11 point yeah i think i remember seeing pictures of that one i believe yeah, still don't have him mounted yet. But <laughs> I will. I get them all mounted up together. I'll send you a picture of them. There we go. That'd be that'd be awesome. I definitely appreciate that. Well, I definitely appreciate it. And you know, with this being your second time on the show, this is a question that you've already answered before. But I, I want to, you know, with the experiences that you've had since our last talk, and you know, with the experiences that you had this season, I wanted to see if you know. I, I don't know if it's necessarily changed or if you wanted to add anything to it, but of course. What does hunting mean to you? Well, um, it has changed a little bit probably, or I guess you could just add it on to my first response. But, uh, you know, this past year and getting to go back out to Colorado again, you know, for the third time, um, man, and, and just the experience I had last night with everything that took place in that field that that buck was doing, you know, uh, showing his dominance and all these other young bucks out there a man all he had to do was just turn their direction and they were they were making a loop around him they were giving him all the room in the world you know and it's just to me you know hunting is just getting out there and experiencing god's creation and what what he's provided for us man i mean when you go to colorado i mean it's making the hair stand up on my arms right now um you go out there to Colorado, you know, being east of the Mississippi, we don't get to experience what is out there out west in the back country. I mean, unless we just we make that drive, we make that travel, we go out there and experience it. And uh, just being out there in that massive country and just knowing how all of that got there and uh, how it was provided for us and how it's still being provided for us and uh, just the resources and is so appreciative of what we're allowed to do, you know, in this country and uh, what we've got the opportunity to go hunt. I mean, that's to me, that's what it's all about. Just enjoy, enjoy every opportunity you get to be out in the woods, no matter if it's going out with your 22 rifle for a squirrel hunt. And it's not just all about the killing. Um, you know, it's a buddy of mine, a good buddy of mine always said, you know, it's it's not necessarily about the size of the rack or the size of the deer or the size of the elk. It's about the size of the memory. So you're out there making memories. That's basically it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. It's, it's the size of the memory. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. I'm just, I'm glad that we live in a country that values wildlife enough to, 
to prioritize it, to put money towards it and to set it aside so that we can, us as hunters and outdoorsmen, we can actually get out there and enjoy it. And, you know, you, the, the whole slogan of the podcast is God, freedom, and the great outdoors. And that's, that's really what it comes down to is just, you know, enjoying God's creation and having the freedom to get out and experience it. And then of course, you know, being able to enjoy the great outdoors. And that's, a uh, that's awesome that you were able to share that with me. And I, I certainly do appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too. Yeah. I mean, and the older, I, the older I get, the, the, the less the size of the, the antlers or the rack, uh, mean to me, you know, uh, because, it's just more about uh, appreciating what what we've been offered, uh, having that opportunity, and uh, you know we we're gonna have to in the future too. We're just we're gonna have to continue doing all we can for um, you know access to public lands, just like in Colorado, have still have keeping those public lands public, mm-hmm. uh, just like here in Kentucky, the 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 Fish and Wildlife areas, the WMAs, you know, making sure that we do. Uh, everything we can to keep the public lands public uh, because so many people, you know, rely on that. They don't have anywhere else to hunt. We're lucky that we've got some private land here to hunt. And, uh, but you know what? I don't have private land in Colorado to hunt. Yeah, so, exactly. having that, you know, having that available out there where we can just pick up from Kentucky and go out there and hunt by GPS on our phone and know what the boundaries are and where we're allowed to be is just, and we've got just as much right to be there as anyone else. That's, uh, it's just so valuable. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely an awesome, uh, experience. And there's really no other, no other experience like it anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's just being able to go, you know, across state borders and go just about anywhere you want to, and, you know, be able to experience that is, is definitely unique. And it's, uh, certainly an, an awesome experience. Yes, it is. Yep. So again, don't put it off any longer. <laughs> do what you got to do. Do That's what you right. got to do. And I'm telling you, once you do it one time, once you do it one time, you're going to say, hey, uh, I got to go again. Okay. You know, uh, and you know, well, if you got to sweet talk your wife and just vow to not deer hunt here in Kentucky for an entire season, say, honey, oh, man, she'd love that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to deer hunt here at all. I'm not going to turkey hunt here at all. As long as I get to go to Colorado and hunt for at least a week, if you can take two weeks, I advise you to go two weeks, but go for at least a week, 10 days. Um, you just got to because of the travel time stuff out there, but say, yeah. So see if you make that deal with her, then, uh, maybe you just, you just go ahead and go out on out to Colorado next year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Sweet talk a little bit. (laughs) Oh man. That's awesome. Well, uh, <laughs> definitely going to have to, uh, going to have to start making some plans and start looking at some things and hopefully uh, some other people will as well, but where, uh, where can people find you on social media and that kind of thing? Uh, just look me up on Facebook, uh, Tony Dempsey, of course, and D E M P S E Y. Look me up on Instagram as Browning, like the gun Browning S H U T R. That's abbreviated for Browning Shooter. So uh, look me up on Instagram. And uh, that's primarily where I'm at, sharing pictures and hunt stuff and gear, broadheads, clothing, whatever. It's just I'm on those social medias just, you know, mainly for all the hunting 
the shared hunting pictures and stories and everything else that all the other guys share. So. Definitely. Definitely. That's, that's the best part about social media right now, I think is the <laughs> being able to see all that stuff from everybody, but I'll be sure they include oh. that in the, in the show notes. And Tony, I appreciate you being on the show again. Hey, appreciate you having me again, man. Anytime, you know me, uh, we can sit there and talk for hours about hunting or fishing <laughs> or whatever. I mean, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Definitely. So. Yeah. I'm going to have to have you on for a, a third time. So we're going to have to keep, yeah, this, um, keep this streak alive. Yeah, we can, uh, we can talk about some more bow fishing too, which I had another bow fishing trip back in the summer since we last talked also. So. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. We'll save that for, uh, right before next summer, right, right when we're getting into, right when we're getting into bow hunting. Okay. Sounds good. There may or may not have been a new state and world record involved in that. Also. Oh shoot. Yeah. Cliffhanger. Oh yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. All righty. Thank you so much. Bye.